Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I am delighted that you've decided to give me a little bit of your time this week as we examine what I believe is one of the most fascinating areas of communication. We start each week with a definition so we know specifically what it is that we are talking about as we refer to content marketing. So that definition is content marketing is a strategic, measurable and repeatable business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. Our guest today is Kristen Cavalier, and she is the Senior Director of Research and Analytics at Sprinkler, a social media software company valued at over $1 billion. Kristen has worked on technology projects for government, not-for-profits and the private sector as a consultant, manager and product manager. Kristen was the Vice President of Customer Relations for New Brand, a social media intelligence company, before it was acquired by Sprinkler last year. Kristen's expertise is in listening and understanding customers and citizens to help organisations to make better decisions. So Kristen, thanks very much for joining us in Transition. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. Kristen, first of all, just a bit of background about you. How is it that you've come to have this interest and and expertise in listening and understanding customers? Uh, It's a great question. Um, I I guess I'd have to say that I I grew up in the software industry really appreciating um, how people communicate and how businesses can solve the problems that people are communicating. Um, And so with a background, um, both in private sector and public sector, as you mentioned, um, it became just incredibly fascinating to me to really understand how businesses can unlock um, how citizens and customers really feel. So beyond just kind of the typical, like, you know, I went to this place and had a great or you should try this place out. Like, how do people and citizens really talk about their experiences um, with governments, with agencies, with businesses? And then how can we interpret those conversations into meaningful, actionable data points that really provide you know, incredibly insightful and valuable information back to those agencies and businesses to make a better customer and citizen experience? So I really have to say I like I like making people happy would probably be the core of it. And I think that, you know, understanding how people talk and what they talk about and being able then to meet them on those grounds is really kind of the core um, of what we're trying to do. And so how, how have you assembled this technology um, in order for you to unpick through the, you know, the reams of unstructured data, which have got, I imagine, all sorts of different signals coming uh, through them, all sorts of different nuances. How have you been able to pull that together into a solution that can actually get meaningful results? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, so, so what the, the way that we approach it from a, a technology perspective is that we um, we want to open up all of the different data sources to understand where people are talking about um, their experience anywhere. So that can be from all social channels. 
um, including, you know, the, the standard, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, as well as um, very specific review channels. So in the States, we a primary data source is Yelp. Um, and you'd be surprised at actually how many people leave very in-depth reviews about their experience, not only for, you know, retail or hospitality, but actually how long it took for them to wait for the Department of Motor Vehicles um, or how long the lines were at the airport. Um, and so we listen across both all social channels, but we also listen to survey data or text messages, um, email data, call center transcripts. So anytime we have unstructured data, um, we basically bring that into a funnel and using our proprietary natural language processing engine, NLP engine, we extract insights um, that are that go beyond keyword searches, where we really try to listen and understand for what a person is talking about and how they're talking about it. And once we understand what that insight is, we can then score it. Um, on a highly positive to highly negative sentiment. So we're understanding the feeling um, related to it. And then finally, we are able to actually categorize that. So after studying um, and our uh, you know, data scientists have had you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of different data messages to, to analyze and learn from, we now have a very good understanding about different types of categories that people tend to talk to or talk about. And so we were able to take these insights, give them a score on how positive or negative they are, and then categorize them in something very meaningful. Like for example, um, wait times, um, or friendliness of staff, um, or um, the appearance um, or facilities or the cleanliness. Um, and so very specific categories, which make it easier for you know brands or agencies or governments to, to at a highest level, understand what their constituents are talking about. And so how much of this problem is solved by the algorithm and how much involvement is there from a human to in- interpret the data? Uh, it's another really good question. So the, it, it, I think it really depends on the sophistication of the problems that you're trying to solve. So typically, um, what we kind of go through the process with um, organizations is really at the very beginning, trying to understand the very big problems that they're trying to solve for. So for example, what are the things that are making my customers or my citizens most upset about? You know, or conversely, like what are the things that really resonate? Like, uh, for example, in the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., in the States, we recently, um, the, the, um, the city recently has done a resurgence of bicycle lanes. Um, and they did that because they were hearing across the country bicycle lanes were becoming much more popular with millennials. It was a much more environmentally friendly way of getting around town. And so they really wanted to push for bicycle lanes, but then understand um, how people were feeling about the bicycle lanes, right? And so they wanted to understand, listen, interpret all of that. So for their perspective, we were able to kind of set out and say like, okay, that's your business problem right now. You want to understand how people are feeling about bicycle lanes. We can set up some standard reports, if you will, that then will auto-populate, will be sent to the right people monthly, weekly, however often. Um, and so that kind of is like we, you set it up, it's one and done, and then you kind of continue to get the data. For more nuanced um, analysis, like let's say, for example, um, some of the restaurant or hospitality um, customers that we work with, they really want to mine the data um, and find that kind of like needle in a haystack, if you will, insight about a new menu item. Or if they want to try to anticipate what the next 
um, food trend is going to be. In the States, we had a very big food trend this last year on Brussels sprouts. Um, <laughs> true. Not even kidding. <laughs> that was after kale. There you and go. So, so a, lot of, um, a lot of brands want to figure out, like, how do I get ahead of that? Like, how do I figure out what the new Brussels sprouts is? You know, it turns out for some areas of the country was cauliflower. Um, but <laughs> um, that requires a little bit more, you know, human digging into the data. Um, but that's really because it's more ad hoc in nature. So could I'm really fascinated by this grade DC dot gov program that you've had. So if we might spend a few minutes digging into that, because the, the audience for In Transition is mainly a government. Well, it, it's a government audience, government communicators trying to understand about content, um, also understanding about the distribution of content and, again, trying to solve uh, exactly the, the problem that um, this sprinkler software, the, the, the new brand um, software, solves that problem in terms of listening to the signals that are coming back um, from the content that, that's, that's generated. So if you might just take us back to that, um, the beginning of that program and really what was the problem that you were seeking to solve right at the beginning? Sure, sure. Um, and, and this entire program is a, a very close spot to my heart, so I'm um, happy to engage with it. So at the core, um, DC was really in a place about three or four years ago trying to pioneer um, an entirely new way of listening to citizen feedback. Um, so DC had a, a history, if you will, of not having, shall we say, great customer experience. Um, and, and in an effort as um, I know we've seen all over the globe and especially in the States, um, you know, there's more and more um, younger folks and more and more millennials and young families moving back into urban environments such as D.C. And so in an effort to both understand, you know, kind of what these new populations are experiencing and feeling and the changing population within the city, um, the District of Columbia really wanted to seek out tools that could help both understand what people are saying, how they feel about certain agencies and policies, um, and as well as honestly a way to have a transparent government. And so what was really critical to D.C. was to have a scorecard, if you will, about how agencies were performing across time that they would publish publicly on their website. Um, and that was really their way of saying back to the citizens, we're going to provide you different mechanisms um, and those mechanisms included social, so all of the, the standard social channels that I mentioned before. And in addition, they had a very specific uh, text message phone number um, and a survey, um, an online website survey that they were trying to make available at public libraries. There were lots of posters whenever you walked into an agency. So you had three different means of communicating with the government. What Gray DC then did was using um, our software, they were able to extract those insights um, in a meaningful way and provide the score um, of how the agencies and the, and the district was performing over time. And then they posted that on their website every month um, to really demonstrate back to the citizens that not only do they care about the citizen feedback, but they were in fact acting on that feedback. And they wanted to go so far as, as being able to show the good, the bad, and the ugly um, you know, knowing that there were still opportunities to improve upon, but also showing them where they were actually improving. And did they do that? Did they show the good, the bad and the ugly? <laughs> they, they did. They, they did, in fact. Um, the, the good was um, particularly around a lot of the service experiences 
um, that they would have. Um, the bad was, you know, quite honestly, that there were a lot of complaints around some of the facilities in the agencies and realizing that there, you know, anything ranging from lack of parking to the facility was really, you know, dimly lit and crowded and there wasn't enough space. Um, and, and all of that feedback really helped the government figure out on many different fronts. One of the ways that the government acted was to say, okay, here's a citizen feedback. Should we be making government investments um, in certain agencies that have a high throughput and have a very poor customer experience? For example, um, the District of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, is never a place that anyone really wants to go to. It's kind of like a, I have to go to the dentist almost like that. And so how can we transform that experience um, to making it a much more seamless, easy um, experience. And so they were looking at that data to try to figure out like very specific points on how to make that Im improve. And what we saw over time was that in fact, with those improvements in retraining the staff to do things like meet and greet, give people good like expectations on how long it's gonna wait, clearly explain directions, um, that their scores actually improved. Okay. And what were some of the problems that you had in those early days getting started? Oh, so <laughs> trying to trying to move a ship is always a little bit of a <laughs> challenge, isn't it? I'd say at first, uh, in, in kind of, and I think this is really true across a lot of um, government agencies that we've also worked with. We've also been working with um, TSA in the States and other different government agencies. But I think at first it's really trying to get the buy-in that particularly social matters. Um, and so historically, you know, government agencies have tend to always, you know, if they do listen to any kind of citizen feedback, it's gone through much more focus groups or polls or survey data, more traditional methods. And now as like the social world has expanded, um, it's really trying to get government agencies and governments to understand like social matters. Social is where people are talking about, they're voicing their opinions. Um, that is the place to communicate with your citizens and your constituents is on social. And so really pivoting um, the, the conversation to incorporate social, not just as a afterthought, but as a primary means of communicating and listening, um, I think was probably the biggest challenge that we had. And what about skill sets in terms of the people within the government to be able to activate and use uh, or, or to be yeah to be able to deploy the software but then to be able to you know create content to distribute to put through those channels did you find that there were that there was adequate skill within the agencies who were using the software um, that is an interesting question um, I, I would say there were as anything there were varying degrees of skill um, to be quite honest I think that from so we started working really with the mayor's office in a centralized capacity, and then it became um, widely used throughout many of the different individual agencies within DC. So from the from the mayor's office, there was definitely a lot of skill um, around creating the the reports and understanding those specific problems. Like we're going to create a report that focuses on, you know, staff um, service. Um, 
the quality of response, et cetera. And then once we got down to the agency level, there was a different level of training um, where, where people were actually acting on the data. And so I would say that there was um, definitely the skill was there, but in like in anything, there were different degrees that we had to kind of accommodate and train um, appropriately. How important was it that this program was run from Mayor Vincent Gray's office? Right. You mean from or or considering like the individual agencies? Yeah, I suppose it's I suppose the issue is around leadership. I think a lot of these things stand or fall by the degree of leadership that stands behind them and the degree of authority that comes uh, with particular programs. And I think if how important was it that this program was coming from the top with the endorsement of of the mayor that this is the way that we're going to go? Uh, yeah, phenomenal question. So the I think from the mayor's perspective, um, they did a really good job in messaging that this entire effort was the initiative on um, having a transparent government and that having a transparent government that cared about citizen feedback was critical to everyone, right? And they really positioned um, the message there being a positive one for all of the agencies. However, you can also imagine, though, um, and, and this I think is really important, is, is any, as any government thinks about um, rolling tools out like this from the agency's perspective, you know, they, they were, many of them thought that this was like big brother, you know, that they were now going to have one more way to have their performance evaluated or judged. And now we were including social and text messages and survey data. Um, and so coming from the mayor's office at one hand could have felt like, um, it was just being forced upon them. But I think with, um, with mayor gray, the way that they messaged and communicated was so critical because they continually positioned it in the fact that this is for transparency. This is to help us all be better. This is for the mayor's office to take accountability um, on additional things like like different policy decisions on public housing and bicycle lanes and trash removal. Um, and so the messaging from a centralized point is absolutely pivotal and critical. And I, I would certainly recommend that, you know, the leaders really consider the messaging because like anything can be very easy for, you know, somebody to misinterpret that. Um, so overall, I think, yes, it was, it was a very important thing that Mayor Gray did that coming from his office and that the message was, was the most important part of that. And just in terms of the expectations, so if I'm a citizen and I've got access now, or I believe I've got access straight through to the top and I can tell you what I believe, and I start to give you my feedback, how do you then manage people's expectations that you think, well, you know, I, I want better lighting here, or I want a, a more convenient park and ride facility, or I want this, or I want that? How do you manage expectations around the fact that you just maybe can't have everything you, that, that you want? Um, and, you know, maybe you've just got to temper those expectations of people uh, in, in terms of them giving their feedback and how you act on that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that is, I think, uh, 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 <laughs> I would say a million dollar, might be more than a million dollar question. Um, setting expectations and, and uh, you know, and making sure that um, everyone's got appropriate expectations that um, I, I don't think there's one good way to do that, quite honestly. But I do think having a communication strategy at the government in place makes the entire difference. Um so one of the challenges that we've seen is that in some ways the 
as we all know, like governments, governments can be very fragmented. And so they're the, the teams that are communicating proactively to their citizens about, um, energy outages or, um, road closures or, um, events that are happening or new policies that are playing like that entire PR communication team often is it's in a very different branch, um, or in the entirely different section of the government that is actually the ones like listening to this type of feedback. And so having a strategy and tools that can connect all of these different aspects of the government so that they can both listen and be like, oh, you really would like better park and ride lanes, like to have, you know, more bicycle lanes. That information is connected with the communication teams and PR teams so that they know and can appropriately respond and message um, to help set expectations, um, to make sure that that encourages a positive, you know, cycle of communication rather than, as you mentioned, um, the, the bad experience, which would be like, okay, I'm giving you my feedback. I'm trying to go directly to the top and now you don't care. So that's, that's everything that we want to avoid. And in order to avoid that, you really need that unified platform that can connect all aspects of that citizen and that person, um, so that the communications is connected to the feedback. You mentioned there that there were three channels as part of this. There was the the social channels, there was the direct text message, Mm -hmm. and then there was the survey. Did you find that there was any differences in terms of the tone or the content or the the type of information that was coming through those different channels? Um, Fascinatingly, yes. Um, One of the the important things, as I mentioned before, is DC was thinking about its changing population, um, was that they... They, in many ways, are obsessed about being democratic, about collecting information from all of these different demographic groups. And so what they found was that, um, you know, not surprisingly, you know, people that were essentially under 40 more likely to interact with the government on Twitter or on Facebook or on Yelp um, or on these social channels. And that, um, you know, older citizens or were more familiar with going to the library and being like, hey, please take out the survey or going to a website, um, were much more likely to give feedback in those channels. And so what they found was that there was definitely a demographic distribution across the different sources. Um, secondly, um, they did tend to find that um, survey data tends to be um in, in many ways, a little bit longer. And the way that surveys are questioned often prompt specific responses. So for example, if you're taking a survey and there are five questions on it and you're saying, you know, how did you experience a service? Did it meet your, you know, did it exceed your expectations or, you know, what areas could we do to improve? They're leading questions that, um, essentially influence the types of responses that you're going to get. Whereas in social, um, social, is unsolicited. It is top of mind. It is um, exactly what's on citizens, you know, on top of their mind and what they're feeling and thinking. And so what we would find in the data is that social feedback would often carry with it the unexpected, that needle in the haystack, the aha moment. Oh, I didn't know people were talking about this. Whereas the survey data, because of the way that it's constructed, um, was much more kind of like in the the confines of those structured questions, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it does. Makes perfect sense. So listen, it's this is a project that started back, I think, in about 2012, and we're now 2016. How how have things changed, or what have you learned, and and what is best practice at the moment in terms of using 
you know, this collection of, of channels, be they, as you say, everything from the survey at the library all the way down to the, uh, uh, you know, the social channels, uh, the, the listening, the other data sources. What's best practice at the moment? And in this particular uh, project, what's happened in those, those four years? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for certainly we've had a different administration um, and with new administrations that come in, they, you know, of course have different programs and and different initiatives and different priorities. Um, So I think one of the things that has uh, been really remarkable about this for me is the fact that, you know, that they, with even within these changing administrations, um, they still very much care about having a transparent government. Um, And so that these metrics and the way that they're communicating are, are still just as relevant in this administration as it was in the previous one. Um, and so the fact that in many ways, like this kind of social and integrated listening um, really transcends in a lot of ways, kind of an administration is a really powerful piece to me because that means like that's that's here to stay. You know, people, governments are listening. They're understanding that citizen feedback is important. Um, so I think that that's been a number one, a very powerful um, learning. Um, I'd say number two um you know, it's like going back to our earlier part of the conversation is rolling out and managing um, how how agencies and how people experience um, that kind of evaluation or performance or understanding like, oh, this is what people actually are saying about me is very sensitive, you know, and like this is not um, this is in government, but it's also anywhere because people are people. And anytime you hear something, you know, you hear like, I'm an agency and I've had a really positive review and I've had a really negative review. You always take it personally. You're always going to think that the person who's leaving the message is wrong and get angry. And so really kind of um, the best practice there is really being able to make sure that the way that you are rolling that out and those programs out are really tuned to, you know, we care about all feedback. Feedback is created equal. You know, what we're trying to do right now is create transparent governments that continually improve the citizen experience. This is better for all of us. We all want to have a voice in this. And really focusing on the positives um, is is really critical. Um, so I would say that's the best practice. And then and then lastly, um, there's there's just an incredible amount of, su- like, I'd say surprising data, if you will, around things that pop up that no one can ever anticipate or expect, Um and that kind of aha moment that different agencies have had ranging anywhere from like, wow, I had no idea that Michael was like, you know, our, our most favorite, you know, staff here. And everyone talks about Michael and they, they love him and they come back just to see Michael, you know, or if it's that, um, you know, like, oh, I had no idea that this very small fix about just like putting more signage around for parking um, would make such a big difference and totally improve. Like these very small aha moments come out from this type of data, which can really, really transform, um, you know, an entire citizen's experience. I can imagine some people are sitting there listening, thinking, but how many resources does this take? How much money does it take? And how many people do we need to be able to really, you know, take advantage of this real-time monitoring of social media discussion and conversation in order for us to find the needle in the haystack, given that globally in government budgets are, con- you know, constricting and there's, you know, pressure all around the place. How, how can people do this? Or what sort of insights can you give them in terms of the resourcing that's required? 
Yep, absolutely. Um, I would I would venture to say that oftentimes the the resourcing can be a lot smaller than you think. Um, when when you think about in today's world, all of the existing tools that governments are typically already using, like so I mentioned before, like you know the PR teams are already using some tools and some forms of communication um, on their side. You've got other tools and teams on like either performance side or. Um, uh, policymakers or, you know, different agencies that have different sets of tools. So you already are kind of, if you already have tools and you most likely already have resources and people, I think really it's a taking a step back and figuring out from a government perspective, how do we want to drive change? How do we want to change our strategy to being more citizen focused and understanding the entire citizen experience? And if we can take a step back and drive that change, then we can start to connect these dots um, and use the resources that we already have in a more efficient, different ways. And so by having technology that can support having a solidified, unified structure, um, it's actually, I think, in many ways more of a, you know, a, a restructuring of those resources than having to add brand new ones. Um, now, that said, I've also seen, um, you know, many different, you know, state, local, federal um, broader agencies able to spin up a, you know, from a social media team that's like a, a one-person team um, to, you know, TSA in the states right now has launched an entire new customer care program on Twitter um, that we're supporting them with, and that team um, because they want to invest in that kind of customer care and having real-time feedback, that's a larger team for them. Um, so again, it really kind of depends on on the initiative there, but I, I would say that I think that a lot of um, efficiencies can be drawn by just changing strategy. Well, I was in Washington last year around uh, sort of early September, and I've got to say it was a great experience. You know, I thought the whole, the, you know, the, the whole place has really had a nice vibe to it, so I'm not sure whether it was to do with the you know, the, the visitor centricity or the citizen centricity, but it really did have a sense of, I don't know, just, just a great place to be. Oh, wonderful. Well, I, I think so too. I hope you come back then. Oh no, don't worry about that. I'll be heading. Uh, I'll be. I'll be heading back to. Uh, actually, I won't get to Washington this year, but I will be back to Cleveland, Ohio, in September. And actually, that's a good opportunity for me to jump in with this um, uh, promotional offer that we've received from the Content Marketing Institute. And anyone who listens to this podcast or has read any of my writing over the years will understand that I'm a fully paid up member of the Content Marketing Institute uh, fan club and Content Marketing World, I go every year, uh, have been for the last six years. And we, in fact, are sponsoring a, uh, a session at Content Marketing World this year around content marketing in government and the public sector. And so for all of the listeners out there, there is a summer sale, which is pretty funny. Kristen and I are having a laugh about it. It might be uh, summer for those of you listening um, in in the States and in Europe, but it's certainly not summer here in Canberra, Australia, where it's about minus three or four degrees outside, but there you go. But listen, it's valid between June 20 and, and, and 30 of this year. So it's a $200 off uh, the current registration rates for a main conference or all access pass to this year's content marketing world. And I've got to tell you that if you are interested, anyone out there in content marketing and government and the public sector, this is a great conference, great people, um, and there's so much learning to be done there. So make sure you get there. But it is time sensitive. So you won't be able to uh, 
access this offer of $200 off unless you get to it between June 20 and 30, which is 2016. So we'll put that in the show notes. So there'll be a link there. But I would encourage as many of you as possible to get over there and really get involved um, as we try to get this content marketing in government and the public sector, people to understand a little bit more that it's it's, it's a great practice and it's a great process for us to tell the stories of government in order that we can engage with citizens, just as we've heard from Kristen today around Newbrand and, and Sprinkler, which is, I suppose, you've now been integrated into, into the... Uh, the, the, the social media software company, Sprinkler. So listen, Kristen, this is fascinating stuff. So where can people learn a little bit more about um, probably that case study, I think, around Grade DC? I think people are sitting there going, wow, I really want to get my hands on this software and have a look at it. Where can people find out a little bit more about the, the particular software and, and a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. So um, certainly our website, sprinkler.com. Um, for, for those of you uh, listening in, we, of course, um, wanted to drop the E. So sprinkler is uh, spelled without an E. Um, so so sprinkler.com has a lot more information about all the different technology offerings that we provide, including the analytics and the new brand technology that we spoke about today. Um, feel free to um, to ping me on LinkedIn. My, my full name is Kristen Cavalier. It's with a K. <laughs> so you got two case there. Um, or follow me um, um, or email me at kristen.cavalier at sprinkler.com. Have you found that many other governments off the back of this experience in DC have started to say, we'd like to do this as well? We have actually. Uh, many, many different cities, including you know San Francisco, um, New York, um, large urban areas, Austin, Texas, Sacramento, um, are really increasingly looking at social in particular um, as ways to both you know, listen for citizen feedback and to really communicate, especially in crisis management situations um, and just understanding in general, like how they can continue to improve um, their own policies and states to attract more and more people into those different locations. Excellent. Well, listen, I think that that's going to that invites uh, an invitation back, I think. Um, so we'll get you back on the program in a few months' time to find something else to talk about. But, Kristen, thanks very much for being so generous with your time. Uh, I do really appreciate it. And to the audience, thank you for giving up some of your time this week. Uh, great case study there, I think, and really something for us to all think about. So many takeaways. So really listen through that one, enjoy it, and I'll be back next week. So thanks again. See you next week. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.